Welcome to Member Maker, a podcast about how to build a sustainable membership business. I'm your host, Ward Sandler, the co-founder of MemberSpace. This podcast is brought to you by MemberSpace, which turns any part of your existing website into members only with just a few clicks. It's available for Squarespace, WordPress, Webflow, Wix, Duda, Weebly, and custom HTML sites. Learn more at memberspace.com. Hey, Stephanie, welcome to Member Maker. Hi, Ward. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So uh, what's your business and who do you help? So my business is called Music for Kiddos, and I am a board-certified music therapist. So I educate music therapists and also other music educators, and I focus very closely on kind of early childhood music, so music for ages zero to six, and I provide some continuing education for music therapists and music educators. Okay. So that's a bunch of different people there, right? There's the early childhood folks, there's the therapists, and then there's also the educators. So does that involve like three different types of membership or how does that all work? Actually, no, it doesn't. So it's all people who are actively doing music of some sort with kids. And so there is quite a bit of overlap and uh, it's kind of nice, you know, initially I was a little worried that that by including music therapists who have a little bit of a different training than a music educator, I was a little worried that I would have to have two separate membership sites, but I decided to try it all together and it's actually worked out beautifully because everybody has kind of a different perspective. And um, a big part of the membership is the community aspect of it. And so, for example, we have, you know, a face a private Facebook group and everybody kind of gives their different perspective. And the feedback that I've been receiving is that people love that there's the two very distinct perspectives in there. Though I have to say that it tends to lean more music therapy heavy. Gotcha. So that private Facebook group, the community you're talking about, is you said that's one of like the major aspects that people really like about the membership? They do. Yeah. So I call it the Music for Kiddos resource community. So I'm providing resources for them, but I'm also providing a community. So something about music teachers and about music therapists is that we tend to be like the only one of our kind in like schools or hospitals or, you know, preschools or things like that, different facilities that we work in, there tends to be a lot of teachers and things that can relate with each other about the kind of work that they're presenting to kids. And for music therapists and music educators, we're often the only one. And so the community piece of it is something that is very desirable and very wanted. And we formed a really tight-knit group. It's wonderful. And it's something I've heard from a lot of folks who've been on the podcast and just, you know, customers of member space in general, that having a community is just the glue that kind of keeps the membership going. And what you're offering is certainly important and, and like resources you provide, PDFs, videos, et cetera. That's all great. But at the end of the day, the, the community of people is for a lot of folks, their most important asset of the membership and why people stick around. I completely agree. And I have toyed around with, you know, kind of creating two different tiers where one is resources only and the other one is, you know, a higher level tier that has the community aspect of it. And as of now, you know, my my membership is only a year old, but as of now, I have actually opted against that because I'm able to keep people involved in the membership. And I'm absolutely certain that that is because of the community involvement. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on using Facebook as like the main source of the community? Do you have any any downsides to that you can think of? 
so all the resources are posted on my website and then all of the community stuff happens either via Zoom or via Facebook. And I can't say there's a lot of downside. I think it's been pretty good. I, I guess the downside is that there are some people who opt to not be in the Facebook group because they just don't really use Facebook. And they seem to be completely okay with that. Whereas I am like, well, you're missing out on this really big benefit of the of the membership. So that is the only downside. I think I have about out of, you know, I have about 108 members and I think about eight of them choose not to be on that Facebook group. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a pretty good ratio then yeah. in terms of activity. Yeah. So how did you actually come into this business niche in terms of wanting to help people with this specific topic? I am my own target customer for sure. I did a, a kind of a career shift about four years ago. And I, you know, music therapists, for example, they can work with people at really all stages of life. They can work with babies all the way up to elderly people in hospice. So as a music therapist, I was making a pretty big shift and I was going from being a medical music therapist in a hospital to working in preschoolers. So I was going one-on-one music therapy in a hospital to these large groups of like 20 to 25 five kids. And even though I was still working with kids, it was such a huge learning curve for me to make that big shift and a very, very challenging shift. And so I started researching, you know, specific resources for what, for the new job that I was going to do, because I didn't want to create everything myself and only to find that I really needed to create everything myself. So I started to create a resource library and eventually turned my resource library into, you know, the big part of the membership site. I love that, the organic nature of that, of building something like a resource library to help yourself and then others wanting access to that and and all of that. So from there, what have you actually charged in terms of when you first launched the membership until now? So when I first launched the membership, I started at, you know, I I opened up 50 spots and I started at uh, $179 a year. So very low. My target customer doesn't tend to make a whole lot of money. I didn't want to overcharge and I really wanted to kind of test the waters. So but I gave only that option. I gave only the annual option at $179 and I gave people the option of paying one time at $179 or equally split every six months. And I had most people take the every six months payment. And then, you know, six months later when I launched again, I raised the price slightly to $197. I think that was a good move. And I have told people all along that, you know, when the limited number of slots are are gone, that I will continue to raise the price every six months when I launch. And so it was 197. But then I also opened up a monthly payment option for $19 a month, but made it very clear in my marketing, even though I can't really enforce it, I made it very clear in my marketing that they were committing to 12 months minimum. And it's a recurring payment plan because I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to resell again to those same people 12 months later. So yes, those are the options that I currently had my last launch, $19 a month or 197 a year. Yeah. The idea of saying, okay, it's monthly, but you have to do it for a year. That's always a tricky one. I've spoken to a bunch of people about that because it's like, yeah, you could write any contract you want. <laughs> it's only as enforceable. Going, yeah. If you're willing to go to court, um, but <laughs> yeah, which, you know, almost always isn't worth it. So right. then it's kind of just, you're asking people to, you know, be cool and, you know, commit to what you said you're doing. But, you know, but that being said, if, if at the end of the day, someone could always also just call up their credit card company, right? Just do a chargeback. Um, yes. So it, it's it, it's tricky. Um, if somebody really wants to stop paying you, there's not a lot of good ways besides just kind of guilting them exactly. <laughs> and, and, and 
reminding them of the of the obligation and that they made. So yeah, for folks out there, I'd say it's better instead of kind of doing the whole legal threatening idea of like, oh, well, don't make me take you to court or it's, you know, the it's it's in your contract. This is illegal to not pay. Like, I don't think that line of reasoning and that kind of an argument is going to get people to resonate. I, I think that would make people more defensive and kind of double down on their position. I think a better approach is to say, you know, listen, I'm, I'm a small business. Part of why I offer the monthly is to help people with cash flow reasons. But, you know, I also, uh, there's an expectation that it was for a year and I made that clear. And, and that's what I need to help keep providing this, this community and this, these resources for everybody else. Um, so I'd really appreciate if you could honor that commitment. I think that's a better way to approach it. I don't know if you have any thoughts there. I completely agree. And, and part of it is, it's pretty clear. Uh, you know, I, I do a lot of work ahead of time before people join my membership. They know exactly what they're getting before they come into the membership because I have a lot of free resources also. So I haven't actually had anybody with paying the monthly fee tell me they want out, which is really interesting. And a lot of people took me up on the annual, the one one ninety seven instead because they save about, I don't know, 35, 40 bucks a year. So I made it a good enough deal for the annual one that most people opted for that anyway. And, you know, and then there's also the piece of it that I really want people who would like to be there to be a part of my membership because it is a smaller membership and more exclusive and I have a waiting list. So it's the type of thing where, you know, if somebody does end up approaching me and saying, you know, this isn't a great fit, I'm just going to say, okay, that's fine. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's nice to come from a position of strength and not one of desperation when it comes to these things. Um, yeah. So let's talk about that wait list you just mentioned. Uh, maybe I didn't quite hear it. When you offer this, you do a launch and there's only, was it 50 spots you said that are available at a time or how does that work? Yes. So my first launch, there were, were 50 spots available and it sold out in about 48 hours. And and then in my second launch, I... I led about 55 and, you know, I'm not, I wasn't very good about also like closing it right at 55. And so I ended up getting, I have a total of 108 (laughs) members now, but, but yeah, I'm letting about 50 folks in each time I launch. And my reason for that is because the community is such a large part of it and I'm really in it for the long game. You know, I'm in it understanding that with each launch, if I can keep the members that I currently have, uh, it'll be growing into something that can be very, very sustainable for a very long time. And I really see that happening. So, you know, but I am launching again in July and I think I'm going to let 75 members in this time because now that I've done it a couple of times, I'm seeing that it's working and that we can have a few more people in there. Yeah, I think that's smart, you know, uh, to keep it limited as a launch because it lets you to really focus on those folks and kind of build up systems or tweak your existing systems to, to get it ready for scaling up higher, like that 75 group that might be coming in July. Um, I think that's something for a lot of folks to maybe think about because there, there's something to that scarcity principle too of saying, oh, there's only so many spots, so make sure you get one. There's There's a marketing angle there for sure, but just from a trying to make the best program you can, the best membership you can, the best community you can by keeping it limited, you're able to keep it more intimate and and to do more for each person in it and then to help kind of build up scalable systems from there. So I think that's smart that you're going about it that way. Thank you. I, I think it's been good. You know, it takes a while to figure out exactly how to make all of those things work in your community. When I launched, it was very much 
you know, letting people know that this is like developing as we go. And so I really took a lot of feedback, especially that first six months. And it was really different, the second launch and the second six months and all better, you know, but it's amazing. And now I feel like it's, it's, you know, we're, I don't know, about 10 months in, I guess. And we're, we're hitting this really great stride right now where it is now very clear to me what the membership will you know, most likely be for the next year at least. And that was not the case when I launched it at first. I wasn't really sure what it was going to turn into. So I'm, I'm grateful that I didn't have this huge influx of people while I was figuring it out. Right. So how did you actually build this audience initially, right? You said you were a teacher and then you shifted to doing this membership, but what, what happened in between those? How did you actually build up this audience and how did you actually transition to having a membership business? I provided a lot of free resources from the get-go, and one of the very best things that I did was I started growing my email list right away. So I created something for me called the Song of the Month Club, where I professionally recorded a children's song, because I'm also a children's musician, performer. I professionally recorded a children's song once a month, an original song, and send it out free to my email list. And then, so if you're on my email list, then you get that song. I eventually release albums, but not of all the songs. And so you either get it in my email list every month or it's in my membership site, but it disappears. You can't just buy it, you know, anywhere on the internet after that. So that song of the month club, it was really, really an easy way for me to grow my email list. And it still is. It's still, I I don't have to work too hard at growing the list because people are interested in receiving that song every month from me. But I've done some other things too, you know, on social media, I do a monthly giveaway. And for my people that I work with, that is very exciting to them because I put together something really neat every month. I collaborated with another music therapy-based company that has a really big market share, and we did a big collaboration of a course together, and so their audience got to know me very well. So you know, it's it's taken me a couple of years to grow it, but by the time I launched the membership, I had a really healthy following because of that. Yeah, and I love that you're able to have this nice creative outlet, the song of the month on top of running a business. So that's kind of cool that you're able to do both things. And it makes so much sense to offer something like that for your audience, right? Who are obviously care about music and children. So it's like this perfect harmony of like, creating something for yourself that's interesting, providing great value to your customers and potential customers, and just getting yourself out there, I guess, also probably keeps you accountable, having to like be creative each month and produce something. Oh, 100%, because I never have time to do it, you know, to write the song and record the song and get it mixed and all of that. And I never have enough time to do it, but I have to. <laughs> so um, it's it's wonderful. And some of the best songs I've written have come out of that, for sure. Yeah. Would you say just as a kind of an aside here as a creative person yourself, do you feel like having constraints actually helps you create better art? Cause I, from someone like myself who isn't, you know, doesn't do any traditional art, at least not anymore. I think the common, the common thought is, Oh, an artist is just kind of, they work when they're, when they're feeling inspired and that's when they do their work. But is that not really the case? For me, the inspiration thing is, is, long gone. I had that when I was a teenager and had a lot of time to daydream and all of that. Um, but for me, it's it's sitting down with deadlines and, and practice. The creativity comes with practice and actually sitting down and taking the time to do that. So in my case, absolutely, the creativity comes out of taking the time to sit down and do it. And, you know, out of every 
five songs I write, maybe I get two that I like, but but the more that I just actually actually write, the more good ones I end up getting. Yeah. So structure, discipline, showing up, being accountable. These are all kind of universal principles that can be applied to anything, business, creativity, whatever. So that's interesting to hear from from that perspective. So after we got kind of past this the audience building, what have you done along the way? I know the membership's still, you know, relatively new, but is there anything you've done so far that hasn't really worked out? Oh, sure. Yeah. I think I have overcommitted myself at times. Um, being too active in the Facebook group, for example, you can really wear yourself out trying to do everything for everyone. And so something that I did, you know, after I launched the first group is that I kind of came up with a clear calendar of when people could expect things from me and then how the best way to request resources and things like that so that I wasn't just having this never-ending list of resources that people in the community would like. Because I felt like, especially when I first got started, I felt like I need to show them that they're getting their value and they're getting their money out of their investment. But over time, I have really come to realize that they are getting an incredible value out of their investment and that I don't have to do nearly everything that is requested of me and they're still incredibly happy to be there. And they can also get a lot of those resources from their peers in the community too. Yes, we're actually planning to launch a community for member space as well. And that's one thing that we've been doing some research on is that at first, a community requires a lot from the person who's creating the community. You, you have to be posting a lot of the initial messages. You have to be doing a lot of the replying because the community is not active yet. It's not really alive. But eventually, it gets to a point where it's self-sustaining and the members are the ones posting topics and it's the members that are replying to each other. And it kind of starts to run itself and grow itself. So one, do you kind of agree with that? And two, do you feel like your community is at that point where it's kind of running and growing itself or not quite yet? I completely agree with that. And, you know, there are times where I can choose to take a few days off and people don't notice because they can rely on each other in the Facebook group. And I would say that it is getting to the point where, like, I'm not worried at all about my next launch. I mean, we're in the midst of coronavirus right now and a lot of a lot of people are having job loss. So there is a little bit of unease as far as, you know, how many people were are going to renew. I think I could lose a few people in July, but overall I'm not worried at all because the people in my community are now my best marketers. Yeah. And that's the the beauty of having happy customers, happy community members is that they become evangelicals for you and they're like a miniature authentic sales force and there's nothing better than that. Yes. And they're happy to do it too. You know, I don't, I don't have to ask them. They're just, they're just thrilled to do it. Exactly. Cool. So uh, to wrap up here, Stephanie, what's the best way for people to learn more about you? So everywhere, I'm, I'm musicforkiddos.com and Facebook, I'm on Music for Kiddos and Instagram, I'm on Music for Kiddos. And uh, yeah, my if you have kids, even if you're not a music therapist or a music educator, I have a lot of parents on my email list and they get their, their music monthly, their free children's song monthly. Great. Well, thanks for spending time with me, Stephanie. Sure. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. There's a direct link in the show notes. We really appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by MemberSpace, which turns any part of your existing website into members only with just a few clicks. It's available for Squarespace, WordPress, Webflow, Wix, Duda, Weebly, and custom HTML sites. Learn more at memberspace.com.